have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and an Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend with Kojo. Reverend Kojo. What's going on, people? good people, and welcome to Bible School. Now, I'm Reverend Kojo, uh, and we're in Revelation 10 today. Revelation 10 today. And Revelation 10 uh, kind of is, is a direct continuation of Revelation 9, and I suppose I could have done them in tandem, and they would have made a lot of sense. Um, but the truth of the matter is, we were running on an hour, and I didn't, I didn't want to do that. So, Revelation 10, and it will probably be considerably shorter than a lot of our podcasts have been, so... Uh, thank me in advance, and if I happen to go over, I'm sorry. <laughs> but let's jump into it. Let's dive into it. We're going to start it on verse 1, and we're going to move right on through it. Uh, like I said, it is a, it's a it's an answer, a, a very wise continuation of Revelation 9. Now, if you recall Revelation 9, we talked about those whole judgments. We talked about opening up yourself to demons and how to avoid such things. We talked about... Uh, what happens when the the great restraint of the Holy Spirit is absent, which is whew, something I don't want to be here for. The, the Holy Spirit definitely restrains a lot of things and keeps a lot of things uh, from entering our path. And while life still happens, and I want to make sure that I make that clear, life still happens. The presence of the Holy Spirit does not mean that Satan is not going to try to attack, but he does restrain a lot of things from happening and crossing your path. Now, um, like I said, Revelation 10 is a continuation of what we talked about the last time. So we'll, we'll just kind of grab it head on in verse one, verse one, it says, and I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was upon his head and his face were as it were the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. Now I want you to look at this. Let's look at this first in parallel to Revelation nine, Revelation nine starts with this other guy being thrown down from heaven or the star being thrown down from heaven. Um, and he's given a key. Um, and that guy is the complete antithesis of this guy. That guy was what we believe was Satan. This guy is what I believe is Jesus. Now, I will go ahead and let you know, because I do believe that you ought to study for this for yourself, um, that the guy, the guy here, whom I'm presuming is Jesus, based off of a couple of things that I'm going to show you in just a second, uh, there are scholars on both sides of this argument who some believe are Jesus and he's Jesus and other believe that this is not Jesus and they believe it's not Jesus for, for a reason. I'm, I'm going to show you in just a second, but let me show you why I believe it's Jesus. Now um, let's read the verse again. He says, and I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud and the rainbow was upon his head and his face were as it were sun and his feet as pillars of fire. Now look, he's clothed with a, a cloud with a cloud. Now he was clothed with a cloud at, at the transfiguration. Remember? And so we, we have prior proof. One of the things we know when we study the Bible, we want to look to other places in the Bible where the same, we can come to the same consensus. Um, and that kind of helps us rightly divide and rightly decipher what God intended. Um, 
short of pure discernment, that's one of the, are the tools we can use. Um, who, you know, the law of first mention, we, when we see certain themes and certain words appear, when we go back to the first place that they're mentioned in the Bible, there we can see a truer depiction of what God was intending or most times what God was intending. It gives us a deeper revelation into those things. Just, just the law we follow in, in Bible study. Now, I want you to also notice that it says, and a rainbow was upon his head, just like at the throne a few chapters ago. You remember when they were describing God, that, that, that they, were, they described him as the rainbows were coming out from him, um, that he was so brilliant and brilliant, not in thought, but we know he is brilliant in thought, but brilliant in, in the, his optical view and what we could see of him. Uh, he was so brilliant that it was like looking at rainbows, that, his, that, his, that, that, that coming out of him was like rainbows. The light was so bright that it couldn't choose a color, but so it chose all the colors. Um, I want you to also notice that it said his face were as the sun. Now you remember at the transfiguration and early in Revelation that again there his face was like the sun. It's, it again is showing how bright he is, how radiant it is, that when he appears that he's not like looking at something normal, something that we've seen before, that he's he's got a, a depiction that is greater than, than the existence of the people we're about. Now what we're looking at isn't common, okay? Um, and I know we were talking about demons, and that that isn't common either. But 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 he's several steps. He's not just a step above, but he's several steps above what we're used to looking at. And so, in you know, we've been talking about things that look despicable, but now we're talking about something that is so all striking to the eye that even the things that we use to describe him are so radiant that I would suspect that they don't even surmise who we're describing. Now. I also want you to notice this because it you, you it, this may throw you off if you're not a astute student of the word. But it's in the Old Testament, Jesus frequently appeared as an angel of the Lord. Okay, he frequently uh, appeared as as an angel of the Lord when when he wrestled all night long with the guy. Okay, and 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 he said, "I'm not going to let go till you bless me." Uh, he appeared as an angel of the Lord. That he wrestled with the Lord. He wrestled with Jesus. Even though he appeared like an angel, do you remember uh, a couple of podcasts ago? We talked about the Battle of Jericho, and when um, when Joshua walks up to the guy, he approaches what seems to be an angel, and he says, uh, "Are you for us or against us?" And I, I expressed to you that it was my belief that that was Jesus appearing in the flesh, but appearing as an angel. Uh, so many times in the Old Testament, because the Old Testament is Jesus concealed versus the New Testament him being revealed. His, in his consolation, we see him often trans, um, ridden up as an angel. Now, I often wonder, is that intentional? Is, is, he, is, he, is it because they didn't have a word for how brilliant or how radiant he was uh, that they ascribed him to the angelic beings? Often, like I described, many of the other uh, little G.O.D.s that they describe. Or, is it, is it, or did he really come looking like the, the others when the angels encountered um, that, and that's something I'll just have to ask when I get to heaven. Okay. Moving right along. Now today may be shorter, but we're going to still try to pull as much as we can. Verse two. And he had in his hand a little, a little book open and he set his right, right foot upon the sea and he left in his left foot on the earth. Now I want you to, I want you to think about this. Now it's very possible that this is the seven sealed book completely unsealed. Okay. So, you know, we've gone now through all of the seven seals. 
And so he says he had to, he had in his hand a little book open. I think the fact that it's, it's open, which suggests to us that this is the scroll uh, that was sealed. Now, I know you may be thinking, okay, I thought we were talking about a scroll. You know, you're talking about a book. All a scroll is, <laughs> uh, is an ancient day book. They didn't have books then. They have scroll, had scrolls then. And then as technology advances, as, as weird as that sounds by saying technology, but as technology advanced, um, they went from scrolls uh, to early uh, versions of the books. And then we, we later came to the bound books we know. And now, you know, you always carry around iPads. Um, but as the technology advanced, so this this word book and scroll is often synonymous in scripture uh, because what we know as a book uh, then was a scroll and the words were just translated to the various things. So when we talk about the book of life, the book of life in ancient times, when they thought about it, really, they were probably calling it the scroll of life. OK, and as 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 translations happen and as they tried to make the translations more relevant to our everyday hearing and our everyday understanding, then those words went from scroll to uh, book. So he had the book. I, I think this is probably the seven seal book completely un, un, under, un, unsealed. Now I want you to kind of go back uh, to this other thing here. He said he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. Now his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. Now, you know, that takes me back to a couple of places. First, it takes me back to Jesus walking on water because his left foot is on the sea. It's not in the sea. And so that that shows us his complete power. Uh, it, it, continued to, it continues to paint this picture that without pausing or without shadow of turning, that no matter circumstance, even though there are demon armies all over the earth, that he is yet God. And because he's yet God, we can see, you know, he's setting his foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. He can split his split the things. Now, that's kind of weird wording to me uh, because of my modern day understanding of the sea and the earth, because the sea to us is often part of the earth. But you have to understand that when uh, this King James was written, that the earth was seen as the dirt, just like they say, dust to dust, earth to earth. Um, and so he split, he put a foot on the sea and a foot on the ground would be a better interpretation of that. But let's let's also go back to Joshua and Moses in Deuteronomy 11 and Joshua 1, where God makes this promise to them. He says, everywhere you place your feet, I will bless you and it'll be yours. As they're getting ready to walk into the promise, everywhere you place your feet, I need you to understand that as you walk into Canaan, everywhere that your feet can trod, I will give you residence. It will be yours. And 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 that's that's one of those things that I like to kind of take to take to heart because one of my favorite things is land. You know, I'm really into land investment, really, really into property, and I really like rural living, although I've always lived in the city. Really, really, really a fan. And so this idea that everywhere I place my feet will be mine, I, I kind of like driving past some places and getting out and placing my feet and say, hey, one day this, I'll own this too. Um, but but it, it, we can go back to that because what we understand that what happens in Revelation is the consummation of, all, of time. It is the restoration of all things. And really what's happening here is he's holding the title deed to what he's standing in. Ooh. He's holding the tie. He's own holding the deed to what he's standing in. It's like when you buy a uh, uh, buy a house or you buy some land, and you're holding the deed, and then you go stand out there. See, you may have stood on it before, okay, 
And when you stood on it before, you were standing in expectation, knowing and standing in faith, understanding that God was faithful to perform all that he said he would do, that he's going to be the same God that he's always been. And so you're believing that God is going to be the same God. But at this point, he's standing in evidence. He's holding the title deed in his hand. The book is open. The seals have been sealed. I've got the deed. I have a possession of it. It's not only do I have possession of it, but I've opened it. It's completely mine. And now he's placed his feet on the earth. And, and what's interesting to me here is, 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 is that the demon armies are still going, but he has yet slain them. Okay. Are you seeing this? Oh, come on. Are you seeing this? He's, he's yet slain them. He hasn't tormented them yet. They're tormenting the people. He hasn't gone and made dominion, but here in, in chapter 10, wow, this is great. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, and, and, and in chapter 10, before he consults, before he confronts the demon armies that are wreaking havoc on the earth in chapter nine, in chapter 10, we see, um, he, we see him standing on the earth, standing on the thing for which he's holding the deed. And he's getting ready to lay an eviction notice on the guys who are tormenting and purging the earth, the demons who got the keys. He's standing on the creation by which they're acting like they own. Okay. I, I hope you're following me. They're acting like they own it. They are wreaking havoc. They're killing people. They are, I mean, men are seeking death. They cannot find it. And here Jesus is with the title deed to the earth and he's standing sure-footed where he shouldn't be able to stand sure-footed foot on the sea, foot on the ground, standing sure-footed within it in his hand. And I think that that's just a message to many of us is that even what looks bleak, and I know everybody likes this is, this is always, but what looks bleak, God has already got the deed to it. What looks like you can't have it. Come on, Holy spirit, what you can't have and what you're not qualified for that God has already got the deed to it, even though you and him have not confronted the issue yet. Mm. He's standing there with the victory in his hand. Okay. Hasn't fought the war yet. The demon armies think that they are winning the war, even though they're delusional. We talked about the delusion last week, even though they're delusional, he's standing there sure-footed. Okay. And that's just a message to you to get sure-footed in your identity in Christ, because he's sure-footed and what he's promised to do. So you get sure-footed in your identity in Christ. I know a lot of times we like to be lukewarm and have one foot, one place and the other foot, another place. But I want you to see how he was able to stand where he wasn't, he should have been able to stand. And he was able to stand because of what he had in his hand. Okay. Get the word in your heart, get the word in your hand and, the, and get the, as you get the word in your hand, get it in your heart. And as you get it in your hand, you'll be able to stand where they said you couldn't. Man, that's a word. That's a word. And I also want you to think of it like this. Psalm 8, Hebrews 10, they say something um, also on, uh, to, to this avail that all things must be put under his feet. All things must be put under his feet. But I want you to notice that all things were put under his feet before he even fought the war. Before he even had to show up to court, before he even had to go and argue that this was rightfully his, before he had to go and argue the, 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 the case or, or he had to go and do anything before he had to go and, and declare it done one more time to tell us that before he had to declare it done one more time before he did any of this, he went and stood on what was his. Sometimes you have to stand on what God has already promised you and to, to get sure footed enough to understand that, that there is no going back, that this is already mine. And so you got to place your feet on all that you can see. 
and all that your feet can cover. And, 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 and it'll sure up your faith in such a way that when you face the demon armies or you face the giants or you face the boss or you face the situation you don't think you're qualified for, what it does is you now has a, have a physical reality to match what your spirit has been trying to get you to see. Okay, come on, Holy Spirit. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Verse three, and cried with a loud voice, and when a lion roareth, and when he cried, the seven thunders uttered their voice. Okay, you know what that takes me back to? It kind of takes me back to John 12. When it, it kind of takes me back to John 12 because when the Lord spoke to Jesus on the earth, when he claimed him and he let everybody know that that's my boy of whom I'm well pleased, the people heard it. But when he, when he spoke, they thought that it had thundered. When he spoke, his voice was such like thunder that they thought that it, maybe there was a storm impending. They heard that God had spoken, but they thought that it had also thundered. Okay, but let's go to verse 4. He says, and when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, set up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them now, not Verse, you know, this is, this is what's interesting to me is that this is the only sealed thing in Revelation. A sealed thing, I don't mean like there's people that are sealed, but the only thing that is not explained, the only thing that kind of is left for us to, that he, he doesn't allow him to write. He says, he says, he cried with a loud voice and the lion roared. And when he cried, you know, they, they, they uttered their voices and then he gets there and he doesn't write. And so that makes me ask the question, John, why include this? Why tell us that we can't know? Why create this hunger in us? Why have us sit here and write books and conjecture about what could have been said by the seven thunders? And I think that this is a moment for us to see something. That this has not yet happened. Now I want you to think about this in contrast. We, 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 we know that Daniel and Revelation very much so kind of sit in parallel. Uh, but what is concealed in Daniel is often revealed in Revelation. Keyword revelation is revealed. Revelation is <laughs> is revealed. Uh, what is concealed in Daniel is often con is is revealed here in Revelation. But but it's is sealed here. Why would he seal it here? And and one of the reasons I, I possibly think that he tells him not to write it is because that it, there is yet to come that our canon of scripture is not yet complete. Now I'm not telling you to go write something and tell them to, to go and submit it and add it to the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is there's still work that Christ has done has to do. And should this been written and that would have suggested that all of Bible could be interpreted, which means that there is not, there's not more to come, but we know that the whole point of this book is that there's more to come. And so something had to be concealed. That's just my conjecture. I could, I could be wrong, but that's, I, you know, I, I, I would believe that this suggests that the canon isn't yet complete. Okay. We're yet to see this happen. And so we, because we're yet to see this happen, there is more that has to be written. There's more that has to be sealed here to make this story complete. And so since he's warning us, he's revealing so much to us so that we can be prepared, but something has to be withheld to understand that there's more that has to be written. The story is not over. The story is not over. And that's good news to the Christian. You know, a lot, a lot of this book is good news to the Christian. It's just not great news to the people who are not Christian. Uh, but let me digress and move along. <laughs> and the angel, which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to the heaven. Mm. 
and I and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are therein are and the earth and the things that are therein are and the sea and the things that are therein that should be time no longer. Mm. And the angel which I, st- I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven. So a lot of people don't believe that the guy that we just talked about in verse 1 is, is Jesus because he swore. I don't know, it cannot be real with y'all. <laughs> I think sometimes we, we get too too deep. They 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 there are people they don't believe it's him because he swore. I still kind of think that it's Jesus. Uh first first thing I want you to see is that the word time here, the time here. It's not in the sense of chronos, but rather it's, it's not by delay. Okay, and then, then the other thing I want you to see is that that he's, his, this, this idea that because he swore um, that this wasn't Jesus, I want you to understand that Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are the same person. So to swear by God or creation isn't really taking the Lord's name in vain because it's himself he's speaking of. Okay. He's, 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 he's not swearing in, in a fashion of disrespect, but he's causing you to bring into consideration of who he is. That's, that's my, what I believe. That's what I believe. Of. But I also want you to notice something else interesting happens right here is that he prays. Now, this is, this is the first and only place that we see Jesus pray for the world, okay? And let me prove it to you. John 17, John 17, John 17, verse 7, we find these words. And now, now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didn't didn't send did send me, and I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them for thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Why doesn't he pray for the world? You know, he's verse nine. He says, I pray for them, but I pray not for the world. Why doesn't he pray for the world? He's Jesus. Doesn't he die for the world? Doesn't he does? Isn't that why he comes to earth is to die for the world? Why does he pray for his people? The people that you gave him, that God gives him, that he sent him these, these disciples, these servants of him. Why does he pray for them? But he says, I pray not for the world, but we see him in revelation. Pray for the world. What's different? Why is he not compelled on his walk of uh, in earth to pray for the world? Why? First John five. Let's go to first John five. And he says, and we know that we are of God and the world lieth in wickedness. In other words, Satan is the prince of the world and those who belong to Satan he didn't feel compelled to pray for because they belong for Satan. But here we see a paradigm shift. 
He begins to pray for the world. And it's my belief, and, and, and this this is conjecture. This is, again, why you should ought to be like the Berean Jews and scrub the scriptures down. I know y'all love Reverend Kojo, and y'all like to trust Reverend Kojo, but I think that you need, because what I'm about to say, I think you need to, you just need to scrub the scriptures down, and you need to come with up with your own conclusion. But 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 see, Satan's it's the prince of the world. We know that. We know that, right? But he says he, he prays for his disciples, but he doesn't pray for the world. I The world, and, and in, in John 5, he says, in the world lieth the wickedness. He, we see this paradigm shift, right? We see this paradigm shift, and I believe he's praying for the world, okay, because the Holy Spirit is not there holding them back. So, because I need you to understand, just like from last time, that the Holy Spirit not only protected the Christian, but because so many un- unbelievers were connected to Christians, they got protection too. You lived in a country full of Christians, and even though you didn't believe in Christ, you got protection from the Holy Spirit because you were around so many people who got the protection. And so the neighborhood was covered because they were praying over the neighborhood. The city was covered because they were praying over the city. The state was covered because they were praying over the state. And you, they had they had covered so many places. They covered the grocery store because they prayed, pray, Lord, bring me back safely. They covered the streets and the byways and the highways. And so you didn't get attacked because you you didn't you didn't falter because you weren't. And so he he didn't pray for the world. He didn't feel compelled to pray and he, for them. But he but because they were allowed in wickedness. But now the great retainer is absent. And so the angel which I sat upon the sea and the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swore by him who liveth forever, who created heaven and the things that are therein and the earth and things that are therein are in the sea and the things that are which are therein, that there should be no time longer. Mm. He prays. Huh. No delay. No more delay. In other words, Jesus said, hey, I know we've been working this plan for a long time, but it is time to bring an end to Kronos. Let's stop this delay. I know I've been waiting on on the, the perfect number to come. I know that you have named them by name and numbered their hairs, but I believe we've reached the number and the everyone that we've called to come in has come in. It is time to take back what is ours. It's time to, to wage war on evil. We've, we've been dealing with these dudes since we made them. They messed up in heaven and they've wreaked havoc on earth. And since they've wreaked havoc on earth, let's wreak havoc on them. This is what, this is what he's saying. He's saying, he said, there should be no more delay. We've been delaying. We delayed for thousands of years before you sent me to earth to so that they may gain salvation. And it's time to finish the work by which I said I finished before. It's time to, uh, to approach this thing. Like we said, I know we've extended for thousands of years. I know that we've allowed the fullness of the Jews so that the fullness of the Jew, the Gentiles could come in. I know we delayed the Jews. Now the Jews have come in. I think it's time that we play patty cake with evil no more. That's what he's saying. Verse 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he declared to his servants, the prophets. Ooh, so, 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 it's the time 
We've been playing this game for a while. We've been allowing Satan to do what Satan does. Satan has been thinking that he's winning. He thought he had avoided a spanking. Can I tell y'all a story? When I was a kid, I used to have a really bad lying problem. I used to have a really bad lying problem. So much so my dad used to beat me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we got spankings. Dad, he would beat me. If he didn't beat me for anything, he beat me for lying. Oh, boy, he beat me for lying. Um, if there was anything he was determined to beat out of me, it was lying, right? Um, and so if I, you know, I could get away with a lot of stuff, but I was not going to get away with lying. One night we were at church, like we were at church a lot. And I don't even remember what I lied about, but I lied. And he told me when I got home, I was going to get a spanking. So instead of riding home with him, I rode home with mama because mama left before daddy left. And I went home and I ran through the shower. I wasn't more than six, five or six. Ran through the shower. And when I ran through the shower, I got in the bed and wrapped myself up tight. And so I thought that if I was asleep, that I would, I would miss the spanking. And by morning time, he wouldn't remember. No, he got home from church. He came and he cut the lights off, lights on, and he spanked me for lying. See, I feel like Satan was like me, and I hate to really compare myself to Satan, but I think Satan here is a lot like I was as a child. He thought he had avoided the the, the chastisement that he was about to uh, in, endure here. I think that because he had been running rampant for thousands of years, because he had been wreaking havoc on all these people, that he thought that maybe by maybe he had forgotten. Maybe it seemed as though... That I, you know, the only punishment I got was being put out of heaven. And he didn't understand the consummation of all things was about to come. It was about to happen. There were some things that were about to be consumed. There were some things that were about to be ended. That there was going to be a reconciliation back to the way that God intended. That we were not going to live in a bandaged age forever. And that's really where we've been. Come on, think about it. Think about it. When, when Adam and Eve came out the garden, he put a Band-Aid on it. He put uh, lambskins on them. And then finally, he uh, taught them how to properly sacrifice animals. And when he properly taught them how to sacrifice animals, he said, you'll worship me, put me at the helm, and he created the tabernacle. Later, he, he had them build a, a temple to give him a more solid, permanent location among the people. And then after the temple, a uh, few several years later, Jesus comes, and, and, and Jesus comes, and he dies on the cross, and he covers the, for everybody else. So we, st- we don't have to kill something. We don't have to get familiar with what our sin costs. But yet, we were still blemished beings. Our flesh was still corrupted. There was still evil roaming around all about even no, our sins were washed white, washed away white as snow. So it was not yet finished. See, sin was finished to, to between me and God. Now I got a connection with him. Now I can commune with him because that's, that's what he's been seeking throughout the ages. But now he wants to reconcile us back to what Eden was like. Get us back to perfect peace. Back, get us back to perfect intentions. Get us back to perfect communion. See, see, we're in kind of good communion. Now we can get closer and closer and closer than we've ever been before. But there is so much more that he desires of us. And see, Satan thought that he had gotten away with it because he had, you know, he came, he came down and stole the keys to, from heaven. He put me out of heaven. How much worse can it get? And here we see he's getting ready to enter into that day. All right. Moving right along. And verse seven, uh, let's see where we want to go. Verse seven. But in the days of the voice of the angel, when it shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. Oh, we just did that, didn't we? And the voice of God spoke to me again. He said, take the little book. No, no, no. We're at verse seven. Um, the mystery of God should be finished as it declared by his servants, the prophets. The mystery is the dilemma of sin. 
The dilemma of sin is what he, what he said. The mystery of, of, of God shall be finished. The mystery is the dilemma of sin. How do you, how does a perfect God desire to be around blemished people? And, and even deeper than that is how does, and I feel like this has been Satan's biggest plight is how do you not forgive me, but you forgive man? Why do you love man so much that you would do all of this, go through all of this, but you wouldn't forgive me? He made man after his image and his likeness. Man was his child. It was his crowning creation. We weren't his minion. Okay. So the angels were his minion. We were created to worship. We were intelligent beings that were created to worship. But the angel's job was to serve him. Our job is to serve him too. My job is serving too, but 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 the angels were 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 made to be his army, and we were des- we were designed to be his conf- his confidant. He he desired communion with us. He 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 desired servitude with them. We we're supposed to serve God, but he wanted to dwell with us. He wanted to he wanted relationship with us. He wanted to be in love with us, and he wanted to be loved. He just wanted devotion from the angels, but he wanted relationship. You know, that's, and, and I'm going to be transparent with you. The biggest, the, 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 the number one thing I've been praying for for probably 10 years is companionship. I mean, honest to God, companionship. Can we talk? Can we really bond on a deeper level? Can I love you? Do you love me? That's what God wanted. He, he wanted, he wanted someone who loved him for him. And that's what he looked for in the man, in the woman. In the, in the people. Verse 9. Oh, verse 8, I'm sorry. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the, the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and I said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it, eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter. But it shall be thy mouth in, in thy mouth sweet as hungry. Now, I know we're not foreign to the idea of the word as food. Okay, we're not foreign to that to that idea. But I want you to notice what happens in verse 10. He says, And I, I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it up, and it was in my mouth, sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. Mm. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it up and it was in my mouth and it was sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. Let's go to Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. Thy words were foul and I did eat them. Thy word was unto me joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name. O Lord God of hosts. Ezekiel 2, 9. And uh, it says, and when I looked, behold, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was there was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without. And there was written therein lamentations, mourning, and woe. I think this is the word of God. And and oh boy. The word of God and, and I want you to think about these concepts we've been talking about. The word of God. When we eat it, often when we're on the surface, it tastes good. Most of the time it tastes good. When we understand it, it tastes good. 
but our, in our human flail fresh, that word, because in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, that word gets on the inside of this frail, failing flesh. And it does not like what it sees. And so it makes the belly bitter. Okay, and again, this is the reason you should study for yourself because this is my conjecture. It, it doesn't, it gets, it gets on the inside of flesh. And when it gets on the inside of flesh, it, it, it doesn't, it's, there's, it's not paralleled. It's not matched because the word is, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, but this belly often consumes things in the physical and sometimes in what we see and what we say and what we spend time into what we get inside of and what we let inside of us. We, 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 it, 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 and so this flesh and the word, they have it out. Who will win? Will the flesh win or will the word win? And so when he ate it, it tasted like honey because it was transformation on the tongue. But as the tongue, as it passed down the throat and the esophagus, and this is spiritual, of course, it made the belly bitter because flesh and the word, something has to die. Will the, will the word die? No, it ain't. Or will the flesh die? Or will you throw it up? It made his belly bitter. Was he going to hold it there? Or was he going to throw it up? Come on now. Come on, come on, come on. He Was he going to hold it there? Was he going to hold it there? Was he going to throw it up? See, a lot of times we get in the world, we get in church, we get in the word, we get in the presence of God, and then conviction happens, biblical mandates happen, and when they happen, the question is, am I going to shift? Am I going to change? Am I going to make sure that the flesh now understands what our new diet is, what we, where we can go, what we can't do, what we will eat, what we won't eat, where we will, what we will allow around us? Or am I going to run because I didn't like the way it made me feel? Am I going to, am I going to sit with this or am I going to own who God says I'm going to be? Am I so stuck on who I think I am, what I have to have, what I'm used to, or will, when it hits my stomach and it makes me bitter, makes it bitter, will I begin to change some things about it so that I can digest it well? Okay. It's kind of, it's kind of like this. It's like, I, I don't eat ice cream and hot sauce together. Cause I don't think I hot sauce and ice cream will go together. So something's got to give. There's some stuff in that life that the word is going to say, it's not going to sit well with what's going to go. Are you going to make the word go? Or are you going to make the hot sauce go? You will make the sin go. You got the things that you've become accustomed to things you've gotten comfortable with. I the first book, book I wrote was called called to the peak, craving the pit. The whole book dealt with this idea that we get so comfortable in our pits and when we get so comfortable in our pits that we get so comfortable, but that we believe that we cannot change. We believe that it is the inherent person that we are designed to be. We believe that our DNA is constrained to where we've been. The question is, is when something better comes and enters your, into your sphere, enters your diet, will you get rid of the better or will you move along or, or will you embrace the new understanding that is better for you and it'll make you better. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm taking this new supplement, Moringa. Moringa is this natural thing. It's supposedly better than kale. It's supposed to be really good for me. And since I got so much stuff going on in the body, I felt like it'd be a good thing. And since my dad volunteered to buy me <laughs> my first package of it, I've been taking Moringa. Moringa is disgusting. Okay. Can I be honest with you? It's disgusting, but the benefits the benefits are supposed to be so much better that I, I chunk it down and I, I cringe because I hate, ugh. 
I cringe, I suck it down because the benefits are supposed to be better. It was sweet to his, ta- his taste, but better to his belly. I want you to understand that prophecy deals with a huge gap between men and the righteousness of God. And that's a bitter pill to swallow. I know we love to talk about the righteousness of God, the love, how good he is, how lovely he is, how we love his presence. And there ain't nothing like the presence of God, I must tell you. But a lot of what I, what I also need to understand is that there is a gift. The gift that we can enter into his presence is a gift. It has not always been the case. The Jews for thousands of years had to go tell a priest and they had to go and make major sacrifice. And as they went and told the priest what they needed, they had these incense. And we've been talking about it, that they went and burned and it, it was like the prayers and it, it allowed them to get access, but they had to get access from afar. We take so for granted the presence of God. We take so for granted that we often try to manufacture it and can't understand why he won't show up. It's a bitter pill to swallow that we are so far from God and it doesn't matter how holy you try to get, how right you try to live, your failing, frail flesh could never measure up. But for some reason, he loves us anyway. For some reason, he forgives us anyway. Some, for some reason, with these empty lives that we think are full, for these, these lives that we think that we have figured it out, for some reason, this God loves us so much that we are, even though we are often far further from him than we thought, that he blesses us. I want, I, want you to, I want you to think about this, that our lives are often so empty, but they're usually emptiest where we think they're full. Usually, usually in, in, in our lives, when we think that we are, we are bossing, that's usually where we're failing. Oh, I think I got it. And I think that prophecy, especially here, it deals with this idea that we think we're good. He's, it tasted like honey in his lips, but when it hit his gut, it was bitter. We think we got it to go and going on. We think we figured it out. We think we know. We're far, far, far from his plan. Verse 11. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many people and nations and tongues and kings. Let's go back to that idea. He ate the scroll. It's so important that we become so important familiar with God, his word, that it is so engrafted into who we are, what we do, what we believe, that we become so familiar with him that it is, we eat it, that it's assimilated into our being, that is so engrafted that, that every time somebody says something, that scripture comes out, even if it's not a direct quote, that it's, it's, it's just inherently part of our knowledge, that it becomes commonsensical to the Christian. And so a lot of times it's not. We say, oh, I know that this is not spiritual. And then we say what we want to say. I think what, what he does here, another thing that you have to see is that when, when he says, when he says, and he said to me, thou must prophesy again before many people and nations and tongues and kings. I, I think first that's saying, yeah, you're writing these things. You're going to send this letter to people. But I think the other piece is this, is that the John, you've got to live this word in such a way that everything that comes from you is like God. Not that John is God at, at any rate, but that what comes out of him would be the very oracles of God. But that only happens when you spend time in his word and in his presence. He assimilated the book. He ate the book. 
And so while I don't think you need to go buy, eat the, go buy a Bible and digest it, what I think you need to do is study it cover to cover. That's why we're doing this study. Study it cover to cover and make it so engrafted into who you are that when, when life happens and when diverse challenges happen and when things happen in your life that you have an answer because the answer is now on the inside. It's great to have a Bible. It's great to carry the word wherever you go. I, I commend you for carrying your Bible, having your Bible app and having, you know, how you get all the points in you version because you didn't open the Bible every day. I think it's great that since the beginning of the year, you've opened the book every year, every day. I think it's great that you've completed Bible plan after Bible plan, that you listen to Bible, Bible school, but is it engrafted in who you are? When life presents a curveball, does an answer arise in your spirit from God or does an answer arise from flesh? How much of you has become the word of God and how much of you is still you? I think, I think we get such wonderful insight here, not just into prophecy, but into living. You know, where, where, where will we be? Where will we be? See, a lot of time we see, we, we, we see achievement, achievement. We, we think about, oh man, I've, I've achieved boy. And, and I'm, I'm number one to tell you about it. Achievement, patting on my back, moving up, starting this business, starting this ministry, seeing this amount of people, being able to publish this book, being able to buy this house, being able to buy that property, being able to start doing all the stuff that I do. I think achieve, I achieve, I, I do, I do. And if anybody, I'm talking to anybody, I'm talking to me, but I'm talking to you too. We see achievement, but sometimes achievement is apostasy in the eyes of God. And it's often apostasy in the eyes of God because we begin to worship ourselves and the things that we've done. And so that flesh takes over and Satan then influences our decisions because now I got to get more land. I got to get more property, got to make more money, got to impress this one, that one, and the other. And then I've got to move here and I've got to continue to achieve. And we've forgotten to engraft because when we engraft the word into our bodies, into our minds, into our, our I, see, when we engraft the word into our mind, it engrafts itself in your heart. When it grafts yourself into itself into your heart, it engrafts itself into your actions. It engrafts itself into your soul, the very crux of who you are. It begins to change your DNA. But so many of us are so stuck on achievement and I'm, and I'm here to tell you cause we get the degrees working on number four here. We get the degrees when we get the degrees, boy, we, we think we've accomplished when we get the titles, we got letters in front of our name, we got letters behind our names. We do all of these things, do all of these things because we're looking for, we're looking for a pat on the back. And the truth of the matter is, is that we weren't created to be worshiped. We were created to worship, which is Satan's number one issue. That's the reason he doesn't understand God, because he 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 wanted to be worshipped so bad that that he instead of, of, of stepping back and worshiping, he asked to be worshipped. And so the greatest apostasy that we have is that we desire to be worshipped and, and, and our righteousness be, is pulled so far from God because we, we miss it. We miss it. We miss it. All right. For next time, for next time, chapters 11 and 14 are going to be parenthetical. They're going to take us on a pause before Jesus does all the stuff that I talked about today. It takes going to put us on a pause and we're going to venture somewhere else. And then in chapter 15, we're coming right back to it. Um, 
And then when we reach that 17th, the seventh trumpet, that's that seventh trumpet will signal the wrath of God, which is kind of crazy, right? Because, you know, after the last few sessions we've had, you would be like the wrath of God hasn't been signaled yet. <laughs> it's a lot has been going on for the wrath of God to not be signaled yet. But the wrath of God is going to be signaled in the seventh trumpet. And we're going to see even more as the bowls of wrath begin to pour, be poured out. You don't want to miss this i i i'm i'm telling you i can't tell you how many how much the revelation study blesses me and blesses my walk with god y'all have studied this word studied this word i, I know i sound like a bro broken record but it 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 will bless you it will bless you I, I can't tell you how much revelation i get not just in studying but in teaching um and study this word you know we talk about saving our lives you know, forget about my life. Save your souls. And, you know, save your souls and save the souls around you. And I ain't talking about beating folks. Just tell them the truth. And I'm not talking about you being like, oh, you're going to hell. No, no, no. Tell them the truth about what God said. Not about, not about hell. Tell them about what's, you know, tell them, tell them about it. Share the podcast with somebody. You know, welcome to the Look, there's, there's God. There's so much salvation to go around that we don't have. We ought not be afraid to tell folk the truth. And I'm not talking about no fire and brimstone. Just tell them the truth. God loves you. And this is how much he loves you that he wrote this love letter to you. Okay. He wrote this love letter to you. I know, I know you're talking about, well, Song of Solomon. We'll get to Song of Solomon. That's a love letter too. But I'm talking about this love letter. And you look, I love talking about marital love. But Revelation is so, such, a, such a deeper love. It's, it's such a deeper love that kind of calls into play everything else that has happened in the Bible. And it makes it all come together and make better sense. It helps us understand better who he is and what he does. So, my the, here's the truth, God. Y'all have to study this word. 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 All right. This has been Bible School, and I'm Reverend Kojo. And until next time... Y'all be blessed. <laughs>